Greetings in the name of Jesus, our soon returning King, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Over the next few months, we're going to revisit two major books of prophecy that have much to say about the end times, Daniel and Revelation. We'll start with Daniel. At only 12 chapters, this last in the series of major prophets is the shortest of those. But Daniel lays a crucial foundation for what is called the end times and the coming kingdom of God. The book of Daniel was, of course, written by the prophet Daniel. His life had the makings of a great tragedy. He lived in a time of war and conquests and was carried into exile by the Babylonians. Daniel could have succumbed to despair or simply absorbed the culture of Babylon. Instead, he determined to remain faithful to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Most Christians are familiar with some of the highlights of Daniel's life. How he refused Nebuchadnezzar's choice food. How he described and interpreted the pagan king's dream of a great statue. How he translated handwriting on a wall that foretold Belshazzar's sudden downfall. And how Darius threw him in a lion's den because of jealous naysayers evil schemes. Daniel proved himself time and again to a succession of kings. He revealed visions and interpreted dreams. He foresaw kingdoms and prophesied empires. He was even given a glimpse of the end of time. Several men of God are given extensive biographical treatment in the Bible, but other than Jesus Christ, Daniel is the only one of those who has no character flaw or incident of shortcoming. Yet, in chapter 9, Daniel accepted personal responsibility for the sins of his people. He lifted up an anguished prayer of repentance on behalf of the Jews because he realized that the time of their exile was almost over. Anticipating the fulfillment of God's promise, Daniel's prayerful plea became, O oh Lord, hear! O oh Lord, forgive! O oh Lord, listen and take action! For your own sake, O oh my God, do not delay. His insight came from reading and understanding Bible prophecy. We have one advantage Daniel lacked 2,600 years ago. We have hindsight. Whereas he anticipated the coming Messiah, we know him by name. We know that he has come and that he is coming again. Over the next few weeks, we'll take a deep dive into Daniel. We're going to kick off today with a special guest, our good friend Todd Hampson. And although Nathan could not join us, I sat down with him recently. Well, we're glad you could join us here for this portion of our conversation with Todd Hampson. Todd, I'm so glad you could join us on Christ in Prophecy today. Mm, honored to be here, man. I'm always glad to join you. Well, you, you can't know how excited I am to be talking mm. to you. Ever since I got a copy of your book, The Non-Prophet's Guide <laughs> to the Book of Daniel, and read it, I, I was thrilled at the insights you offered, at the illustrations. Mm. I mean, we in our Lamplighter magazine try to evoke uh, ideas not just in the words, but in the pictures and graphics, and you have a true gift to do that, brother, mm. I'll tell you what. Thanks, man. It's funny how God works. You know, that my background is animation production and illustration. Never thought the Lord would be using it for ministry, but uh, it just goes to show you, God can use anybody, and God doesn't waste anything from your past. He certainly yeah. does not, and if you turn it all over to Him, then He turns it into something even more glorious well and beautiful said. than we can imagine. Amen. Well said. Well, obligatory first question. Why did you write this book on <laughs> Daniel? Obviously, you have a series in the Nonprofits Guide. Daniel's very critical as a book mm -hmm. of prophecy, the last of the major prophets, but mm -hmm. what sparked an interest in you for Daniel in such a time as this? So I really always wanted to do one on Daniel, um, but I wasn't sure if it was if it was too niche that it wouldn't be a good broad selling book that publishers would be interested in that kind of thing. But when I presented it to, to my publisher and talked about the fact that 
Uh, I'm getting requests for it all the time. People really want to study it after studying the, the Revelation. And of course, if you, you know, go to seminary anywhere and you're taking an eschatology course, you're going to learn Daniel and Revelation in the same class. Yeah. So I wanted something where people could have both of those together to kind of fill it out and really give them the full picture. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the main reason behind it. But also, I just always loved Daniel. I was, uh, my oldest son's name is Daniel. I was going to say, okay. it seems to have a personal uh, connection <laughs> yeah. to you and to your wife. Yeah, it really does. Uh, I've got three kids and a, and a daughter, beautiful daughter-in-law. love them all to death, and they all have their special places. But when we, were, uh, when we found out we were pregnant with our first child, we were reading and studying the book of Daniel. And just so happens that the Lord gave us a boy as our first child, and we were like, oh, you know what? We're going to name him <clears throat> Daniel. So for that reason, and also just almost like a, you know, in the, in the Bible, when you see people, there's meaning in names. Yeah. Uh, our goal was to raise godly children, to start a godly heritage. So with our first child, we wanted to kind of set that standard. Like, let's name him after a, a biblical figure who stood for the Lord and had a thriving relationship with the Lord. So, well, he certainly did. I yeah. observe oftentimes Daniel is one of the few characters in the Bible with an extensive biography mm. who we see no character flaws. Mm. Uh, he's almost a prefigure of Christ. I know we're going to talk about that, but. Mm -hmm. I've already said I absolutely love the illustrations you bring to this book and your opening illustration about mm. the confidence we can have in the midst of our storm-tossed world. Mm -hmm. It was just fantastic and it's a great start, but let's jump into a, a key question that you address okay. right up here at, at front of our conversation. Is Daniel a book of practical uh, godly living or is it a book of prophecy? That's a great question. You know, most people who, have, <coughs> well not most people, but a lot of people that I've talked to who have grown up in church or are familiar with the book of Daniel, but maybe have never studied it, they have more what I call flannel graph theology. They're <laughs> yeah. familiar with the lion's den and the, and the, you know, the fiery furnace and some of these really epic stories, the narrative portion of, of uh, Daniel, but they don't realize there's a whole prophetic section as well. So I, so I always say the book of Daniel is more relevant now than ever because you have the, the first six chapters are all narrative, the story of Daniel's life, and there's some prophecy in there as well. And then the, the final six chapters are 100% all prophecy. So, and they're prophecies that um, we're seeing the groundwork being laid in our day. You know, Daniel said, I, he wanted to know what these prophecies were, but he was told, Daniel, go your own way. These mm. are for the time of the end. In other words, you want to understand these, but we're understanding them. So that means we're seeing the groundwork being laid for all, the whole end time drama. We sure are. And I, I like to tell people <coughs> oftentimes we can understand better than even the prophet Daniel, mm. the very prophecies that the Lord had him record mm. because we have the advantage of hindsight. Yeah. Daniel and other prophets in the Old Testament were looking forward anticipating a Messiah. We yeah. know the Messiah's name. We yeah. know how he came to earth uh, in his first advent. And so we have a certain perspective that even they did not have. Well, obviously you've touched on this already, but you divide the book of Daniel as you're flowing through it in your book into three different sections, mm -hmm. and then you talk about application. So what are those sections that uh, the book lends yeah. itself toward? Yeah, I, I hinted at that a little bit. The, the first section is really an overview of the book, kind of the setup material, but it's all about his story. You his. know, it, it, the, the one, the single word key theme of the book of Daniel is sovereignty. It's mm. God's sovereignty. He's in control. Uh, and, and no more time than in Daniel's time when chaos was abounding, when they were, he was taken captive to Babylon. He was a prophet in exile. He, was, he came from royalty, but they took him out of everything he was familiar with and dropped him in this pagan environment. And um, so, so it's, it's just an amazing thing that, that proves God's sovereignty because through the book of Daniel, you see God's sovereignty over Daniel's life and you see God's sovereignty over 
the affairs of men. Uh, and we'll get into this, but you see the entire Jewish history mm. from Daniel's time until the time of the end. So even in the chaos of war and conquering and evil and, and God even allowing evil things to happen, God is still sovereign. So it's yeah. his story. So that's, I, I kind of set the, the framework of the book with that first section. And then I go into the next two sections in that it's half narrative and half prophecy. And it's written, a lot of people don't realize too, it's written out of order. Mm-hmm. And it's also written in different languages. There's, there's sections that are for Gentile audience and they're written in the Gentile language of the day. And there's the sections that are for the Hebrew people were written in Hebrew. So it's, it's, it's just, ama- the more you study it, the more amazing it becomes on, on so many levels. Certainly does. You yeah. know, you talk, I know, in your book about prophecies that have already been fulfilled that we mm-hmm. can see in history and, and so accurately predicted, mm-hmm. foretold that some scoffers say, ah, oh, that couldn't have been written ahead of time. That had to have been written after yeah. time. But we know better than that yeah. just through historical uh, records and, and texts mm-hmm. that we have from the ancient times. And yet there are also prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But what do you mean when you talk about the CNS, the central nervous system <laughs> of the book of Daniel and the scarlet thread that runs not only through Daniel, but the entire Bible? Yeah, yeah, I, I, call, I call Bible prophecy in general the central nervous system of the Bible yeah. because every key person, area of theology and key story is somehow connected to prophecy. You know, prophecy is, the Bible is the only religious book in the world that claims to be the word of God and has predictive prophecy as a proof that God means what he says and says what he means. Um, so, so that's the CNS, the central nervous system, just like our central nervous system kind of touches on every other system in our body. And if the central, central nervous system goes down, everything else goes down. So I think <clears throat> that shows the importance of prophecy in the Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, also, I call it, I, I point out the scarlet thread, meaning from Genesis 3.15 to the end of the Bible, there's hints of the Messiah, you know, it builds throughout scripture, but, but every book of the, of the Bible somehow, some way points to the savior. And I'm not the first one to come up with the scarlet thread. That's kind of an old yeah. thing that's been around for a while. But in, in the book, I went through and looked sure enough, every single book, there's something that points to the Messiah or connects to the Messiah. You know, you mentioned the sovereignty of God. One of the beautiful things in the book of Daniel is how many times pagan kings and so we're reminded that here's this, this man who was faithful to the Lord, who would not defile himself even by eating pagan food that had been sacrificed to idols. And yet because of his living testimony, pagan kings came to respect and honor the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't know if they became actual believers in the sense that we would say, right. but they absolutely respected the God of Daniel. They really did. I think, you know, and there's three case studies there. If you look at it, mm-hmm. you got... Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and then Darius. <clears throat> and it seems three different times the Lord was really trying to draw Nebuchadnezzar. And each time he came a little bit closer, but then there's little hints that he still kind of clung to his polytheism. And the, and the final one with Nebuchadnezzar, it's, it's really not clear. Maybe, maybe he became a believer, maybe not. But it, it seems like he kind of still clung to that, um, you know, a little bit just clung to his old <laughs> ways and didn't cross that line of faith, so to speak. Then you have Belshazzar, who was just outright rejecting it, pagan to the yes. hill, nothing to do with it, and we see what happened to him. And then Darius, and or then Darius, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah Darius, uh, who who protected Daniel and, and hated the fact that they tricked him into putting him in the lion's den, and then went overboard and threw them and their families in the lion's yeah, den yeah. after Daniel came out. But uh, so so yeah, those are three snapshots of how God 
God does love world leaders and wants to get a hold of them, even pagan world leaders. We need to remember that. We need to remember that and we remember that God is sovereign. So even if, if we bemoan pagan leaders in our own country or elsewhere, <laughs> God can use them mm -hmm. to fulfill His sovereign will just as yep. He did through Pharaoh in, in the time of the Exodus, just as He does with Nebuchadnezzar, Darius. You mentioned Cyrus who's mm -hmm. coming later. Nobody is beyond the, the ability for God to reach in and, right. and change the trajectory of human history, mm -hmm. uh, even if he has to put hooks in their jaws and turn <laughs> their heads. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've already mentioned is that uh, Daniel didn't always understand the prophecies. Mm. It, it's actually a comfort to me that when Gabriel came mm -hmm. to visit Daniel, mm -hmm. he called him a highly esteemed mm. man. Uh, similar to what he greeted Mary mm -hmm. when he was there to announce the birth of Christ. And yet, Daniel didn't understand all the prophecies. Yeah. So yeah. how can we think that it's possible other than in hindsight for us to understand what yeah. even Daniel could not? Well, thankfully we have the entire canon. You know, we have the entire Word of God that we can now compare and put together. We can kind of put the puzzle pieces together. As we mentioned, you know, Revelation is often taught with Daniel. Uh, add the Olivet Discourse and some of the other Old Testament prophets and you, you get more of a complete picture of these things. So uh, in our time in particular, we're seeing the conditions come together that we can see. So we do have hindsight. We have the full canon of scripture to, to compare and look at. Uh, and also I think it's just God unseals things at the right time. I believe we're, we're, we're understanding scripture. You know, there's a passage in, in Daniel where it talks about people will run to and fro. And, and knowledge will be increased. Yes. And there's there's a debate among good teachers whether that means travel is, increases or whether it means people run to and fro in the scriptures. Mm. Um, and the more I study it and compare it with other passages that use that same term, I kind of, I'm leaning now more towards the, the idea that they're running to and fro in scripture. That's that in the end times, the closer you get to the end times, the more people will be comparing scripture with scripture and putting these puzzle pieces together. You know, so. that's fascinating, and, and sadly, we know that throughout church history, the last 2,000 years, there were many long stretches where the average Christian wasn't even allowed to own a Bible, that's right. let alone read it in their own language. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were found to, to have a Bible in your possession, it was a capital offense. Mm. And so today, we have the great blessing of having Bibles in, in every Christian home, yeah. I dare I say, but how often do, <laughs> do we open and read them and study them? So mm -hmm. that's the, uh, the challenge for us if we really want to understand. That's right. So true. We have more tools now than we've ever had before. Uh, people have probably maybe seen some of these, these video clips of people in the underground church in China receiving Bibles and just hugging them and clinging to them. We, we take for granted that we have God's written word at our access at our fingertips any given time of the day. Let's talk about Daniel chapter 9. What does that reveal about the the character of the prophet mm -hmm. and really the anticipation of a Savior? Yeah, so you uh, you open Daniel chapter 9 and it opens with Daniel pouring out his heart to God, confessing his sins and the sins of his people. And as you mentioned, what sins? D Daniel seemed like a righteous guy, but he knew compared to a holy God, we're all sinners. Yes. Even on our best day, we don't come close to comparing. So he was confessing his sins and the sins of his people. He knew that they were in exile for disobeying God in the promised land. Um, and so he was really, and actually he was studying another prophet. He was studying Jeremiah, yeah. a contemporary who was who before him, but also an exile prophet kind of towards the end of uh, Jeremiah's life. And he was reading uh, the book of, of Jeremiah and saw that it was gonna be 70 years in exile. So he, it was about that time frame. So he started praying, well, Lord, Jeremiah says 70 years, we're going back. 
Uh, so he really, he was just praying about when we get to go back home. When And he was old, so he wasn't really planning on it, it appears. But he knew his people needed to go back home and reestablish the temple and all that stuff. Um, but God often, when we when we confess our sins and, and come to him and, and just humble prayer, he often gives us more than we bargain for. It surely does. So not only did he give Daniel the time frame for going back into the land, he gave Daniel the entire Jewish history from Daniel's time until the end of times. <laughs> you, know, you know, and it's during this prayer, this confessional prayer, mm-hmm. that the Lord sends the messenger, the angel Gabriel, right. to say, the Lord has heard your prayer, and so he is going to reveal. I think sometimes mm-hmm. we want to just, just give me the, the bottom line. You know, I just yeah. want to, I want to go to the end of the book and get the, the full answer. But, but Daniel studied, as you said, mm-hmm. Bible prophecy through the, the prophet Jeremiah, and he prayed and sought after the Lord, and his whole life was a living testimony. Yeah. I think too often we, we skip over the, the prayer, the seeking the Lord, yeah. and the, uh, the S-T-U-D-Y, the study mm. of God's word. So true. Uh, you make a point that in Revelations 404 verses, there are over 800 references or allusions to the Old Testament, mm-hmm. including Daniel. Although John seldom says, as the prophet so-and-so said, right. oh, and he never quotes chapter and verse because they, they didn't have chapters and verses <laughs> right. in those days. But if you don't understand the allusions, mm-hmm. you miss many of the illustrations in Revelation. You really do. And I think in Revelation in particular, that's where some people get into a lot of trouble is trying to pour their own meaning into the symbols or looking at the modern day world around us for symbols that connect with it. When, like you said, they find their context in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, half of the symbols in Revelation, the the meaning is given to you in the context of Revelation. Mm -hmm. The other half are all direct allusions to the Old Testament. So if you don't know the Old Testament, you're not gonna understand Revelation. And you know, Revelation is a very Jewish book. It's it's written just like the Old Testament, you know, type of uh, prophetic books. And you've got, you know, two Jewish witnesses, 144 Jewish um, witnesses, uh, you know, evangelists. You have, uh, it's all about Israel, the desecration of the temple, the, you know, the, the, all the stuff that happens at the midpoint. So it's all about Israel, all about Jewish people. You know, it's funny, people who uh, we would call replacement theologians, or they, they have replaced Israel with the church, yeah. they don't have much interest in Revelation. Yeah. And it almost goes hand in glove. And they'll deny that they are replacement-minded, but mm-hmm. I've seen it too many times when I ask them about Revelation. Well, that really has no relevance mm-hmm. because they have discounted God's promises yeah. throughout the Old Testament and continuing into the New Testament mm-hmm. to the Jewish people. I find that one of the, the beautiful phrases uh, that is used to describe Daniel is what Gabriel heralds him as. He says, son of man. Oh, yes. And later, that yes. same phrase is what Jesus grabs a hold of as a, mm. a messianic title for himself. Mm-hmm. Now, it was little s, son, little m, man, sure. when it came to Daniel, is capital S, son, capital mm-hmm. M. He is the ultimate fulfillment of God and man, that being Jesus Christ. But Mm -hmm. Daniel, upon seeing some of these visions of the the Messiah to come, I just am reminded in chapter seven, verse 14, speaking of the coming Messiah says, Mm -hmm. and to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and men of every language might serve him. Mm. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Mm contrasted to the kingdoms of Nebuchadnezzar and right. uh, Belshazzar and, and Darius, obviously, mm-hmm. their kingdoms did not last right. very long. Yeah. But Christ is coming and his kingdom will last forever. Amen, and you get a beautiful snapshot of that in, in Daniel chapter two and seven, but two in particular with the, with the statues. You see, yes. man sees them, their, their empires as these beautiful, you know, metallic uh, statues 
from gold to silver to bronze to, and then, but at the bottom you have the, the feet of mixed of iron and clay, and then a, a rock not cut by man comes in and demolishes it all. So that's the millennial kingdom coming in to take over all other kingdoms. So that's the future millennial kingdom. So there in that one prophetic uh, symbolism of the statue, you have a full overview of history from Daniel's time until the time of the end. It's mind blowing. It is mind blowing. Yeah. People sometimes discredit or discount the uh, appearance of the Trinity in the Old Testament. But if I back up one verse to Daniel seven thirteen, mm -hmm. Daniel opening this passage said, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Uh, he looks like a man, but he's not. He, he's like a son of man. Mm -hmm. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Mm. So he's talking about the son approaching the father and then being given this kingdom, this dominion. Wow. I mean, it's a messianic passage mm -hmm. that just makes your heart thrill. Yeah. And yet Daniel also saw not just toward the first coming of Christ, but he knew that there would be mm -hmm. great times of tribulation until that second coming. So he yeah. gives almost a, an outline of the time frame yeah. that we can anticipate. He really does, and I'm sure we'll do a future show specifically on Daniel 9, so we won't go too deep in that, but in that passage you see that overview as well, the first and second coming, and this mysterious gap in the middle that we call the church age. Uh, and in chapter three, you have another snapshot of Jesus in the fiery furnace. Yes. You know, three men were thrown in, there's there's an extra one in there, and he looks like a son of man. <laughs> or yes. it looks like a son of God, I'm yes. sorry. So you have the, the God-man, the, the, the human, the God-man in there throughout, you know, it, hidden in the Old Testament, concealed uh. in the Old Testament, revealed in the New, and it's a beautiful thing to go back and see Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. I think it's in interesting, the person who recognizes that son like a God uh, mm -hmm. is none other than Nebuchadnezzar. That's so right. you think that uh, the world will witness Christ at the time of the rapture or just at the time of the second coming? I think, I tend to believe, when I read other passages, I think the rapture will be for believers only. I think mm -hmm. we'll be the only ones that see him. Um, it's not a secret rapture because we're gonna, all going to disappear and it's going to yeah. be absolute chaos everywhere. But I think the whole world will see him. Scripture's clear about that. On the second coming, for sure, I think the whole world will see him. Somehow, some way, at the same moment, the entire world's going to see the return of Christ. That Shekinah glory cracking through the darkness that's there at the end times. Uh, what a beautiful sight that's going to be. Well, we're going to have a whole section of our uh, series here on application. But, but as we are now in the year 2024, as mm -hmm. this show is first going to air, the, the world seems to be coming apart at the seams. Yeah. The nations seem to be hurling into chaos. And, and there's war and rumors of war. All mm -hmm. the various signs seem to be multiplying, or as we like to say, increasing in intensity and in frequency. That's right. Make a case that this, this ancient book mm -hmm. that some would discount as, oh, that's Old Testament, I'm a New Testament Christian, <laughs> has relevance to us today. Yeah, it, it has relevance. I, I highlight this every chance I get. Two levels. One, we're seeing all the prophecies, other than in chapter 11, there's about 30 prophecies that were all fulfilled in the intertestamental period. But all the end time prophecies, and there's a ton of them, we're seeing the groundwork so clearly being laid mm -hmm. in our day. So that should get our attention from a prophetic standpoint that the great end time drama is drawing near. We're, we're there, we're on the cusp of it. We don't know when it is, but it's, it's very clear that the groundwork's being laid for that. And also the practical side of seeing how Daniel and his friends pre-decided they were gonna stand for God in a godless culture. They were gonna, in a whimsical, wet, prayerful way, they were gonna seek God's face and stand for him no matter what it cost. You know, when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, they said, even if, even if he does not choose to, to protect us through this, we're still not gonna bow to your statue. Oh, so that's the attitude we need to have. Powerful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think Daniel should embolden those of us who want to serve the Lord. I love what he says uh, later in the book when Daniel, uh, indicating the time of the end, he says, and this is with regard to a response to the Antichrist, mm -hmm. so I, I put it in the proper context, yeah. but the application still holds. He says, the people who know their God will display strength mm. and take action. So today, if you're worried about all the, the chaos in the world, then if you know your God, display strength, not fear, not yeah. anxiety, and take action. Well, what action can we take, Todd, yeah. as followers of Christ? I think one key thing we can do, a lot of people think, oh, I gotta do some big thing. No, if anything, just l draw a line in the sand, know where your standards are, biblical standards, and say, I'm not gonna bow to culture in this area. I'm gonna stand for Christ. I'm gonna preach boldly. For, for pastors and teachers of the word, I think it means teaching the whole counsel of God, teaching God's prophetic word, boldly stating truth, speaking the truth in love. You know, we, we live in an era where we try to dumb down the gospel to, to meet people where they are, when the gospel is supposed to be transformative and powerful, and, and, and it, it, is, it is, does cause upheaval, but in a good way. It changes lives and makes people become born again. Amen. I, I can tell you, yeah. so many folks that approach us through our ministry, I'm sure you've heard the same thing, that mm -hmm. said, I came to faith in Christ from studying his prophetic word That's and right. seeing that he is the fulfillment of the ancient prophecies mm -hmm. and, and they're still coming to pass before our eyes today. Yeah. Well, your book has been a great blessing to me. Mm -hmm. I know it'll be a blessing to all who get it. We're gonna make this available to you even through our ministry. But I have to ask, Todd, what's the next in the nonprofit series? So the next book is The Nonprofit's Guide to Heaven. So that'll be a cool one. It's, it's about heaven, but also everything that leads up to that. So rapture, beam of seat, millennial kingdom. So all the future glory that we have to look forward to as believers. Uh, and I, the reason I wrote it is because I hear people say, you know, you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I think it's the opposite. I think the more truly biblically heavenly minded we are, the more earthly good we're going to be Amen. because we're gonna, we know we, time is short and we know we got to leave it all in the field for the Lord. Well, you've left yeah. so much here for us. Mm. I, I'm going to read this over and over again because mm. I've already done so just in preparation for this uh, conversation. Mm. But every time I've gone back to your book, let alone the Word of God, I, I get a blessing. So, Todd, thank you for writing, uh, you. for using your gifts, and for joining us today on Christ and Prophecy. It's my honor, my pleasure. Always, always glad to join you guys. We'll have you back, brother. Thanks. Guaranteed. Sounds good. Our overview of Daniel will reference Todd Hampson's wonderful book in the Nonprofits Guide series. If you'd like to get a copy of Todd's book to aid in your own study of Daniel's visionary prophecies, just call the number on the screen or visit our online store. For a contribution of only $20, we'll be glad to send you a copy, and that even includes the cost of shipping. We're confident that Todd Hampson's Nonprofits Guide to the Book of Daniel will bless you as much as it has blessed us. Daniel is one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. Not only does it offer vivid illustrations of tough and persevering faith, it affirms the sovereignty of God and His willingness to reveal His plan for mankind. In our much briefer overview of Daniel during our Jesus in the Old Testament series, one of our key verses was Daniel 2.22. It is He who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. As fascinating as the rise and fall of empires and the culmination of human history is, the most profound revelation is the person and purpose of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we know from hindsight that Jesus has come bringing salvation to all who put their trust in Him. But another key verse from Daniel centers on the promise made to the Messiah. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms 
but it itself will endure forever. Well, certainly all the signs of the times declare that we're living on the cusp of the fulfillment of that prophecy. And as we approach the end times Daniel foretold, the words that he concealed and sealed up 2,600 years ago are coming to light as never before. Tune in again next week as we continue our study of Daniel. Until then, as we await our soon returning king, join us in crying out as Daniel did, for your sake, O oh my God, do not delay. Godspeed.